now and turn to the book of the Psalms this morning. This morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 120, Psalm 120. These are the songs of ascent, 15 psalms right after the longest psalm and the longest uh, chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119. It's, uh, it's important that these are here. You see at the, at the very end of Psalm 119 at Psalm 170, or 119, 176, it says this, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Uh, and you'll see why, uh, I hopefully see why uh, these psalm, songs of ascent and these psalms are uh, meant to come right after that verse. Uh, because it deals with those who are wandering, uh, wandering in the world. Let me read this for you. This is, let me remind you, this is God's good and kind and gracious word that he has given to his people. This is to you and for you this morning, so give attention to it. A song of ascents. In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshesh, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, They are for war. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask for him to help us understand this word. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank you for giving us your word today, uh, that we might have uh, the peace of God through it. We live in a world that is full of war and is full of distress. We we, uh, oftentimes have... uh, Similar words like this psalmist on our own lips. Father, we need deliverance from you. You have promised to give it to your people through the power of your word. So by your word today, I pray that we would experience that deliverance, maybe for the first time, through faith in Jesus Christ, or maybe for the millionth time this morning to be refreshed in the good news of the deliverance that is ours in Jesus. Again, help us understand your word today by your grace. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, back in the uh, late 80s, maybe mid 80s, uh, all through the 90s, and then the early 2000s, there was something that I used to love to do, and that was uh, to make a mixed tape. I would stay up late at night listening to the radio with my... um, with my uh, tape recorder radio next to the bed, and when one of my favorite songs would come on the radio, I would press the record button and hopefully get as much of it as I possibly could uh, to have the copy of my song, the one song that I wanted. Um, it was a different time. It was, it was a, 
a crazy time. It was, uh, you know, you just never knew if you were going to get the song that you wanted. But you would, you would make this mixtape. You would record all of these songs, and you would have this tape where you could listen to your favorite songs over and over and over. Back before the days of the internet where you could just, you know, get whatever you wanted at any time. Uh, what some people would do, and some of you may remember this, you would make a mixtape of your favorite songs uh, for maybe your crush that you would give uh, someone that you had a little crush on a mixtape of songs that would helpfully uh, indicate how you felt about them without actually having to say the words. It was a, a great way to release uh, the pressure on that situation. And maybe maybe they would listen to these songs and just know how you felt. Uh, but then there were other times that you would make a mixtape. If you were going on a trip, you would make a mixtape of different songs, a road trip mixtape. And I remember I took a trip in 2002 uh, to visit some family in North Carolina. Uh, and it was a spring break. Uh, and I, I made this mixed, not a mixtape, but a mixed CD. And I collected all of my favorite songs, the perfect songs for uh, this road trip that I was going on. And I have vivid memories, even today, in, of driving through the Blue Ridge uh, Park, Parkway with various songs from this mixed CD uh, coming on. Now, all of you understand this, even if you've never made a mixtape, but you understand kind of the sentiment behind this, that, that there are these songs that we have kind of playing in the background of our life experiences, and we have these songs that we relate to very important times of our life. And there are th times when maybe even we have this backtrack of songs going behind important events, important times, maybe even road trips in our life. And what does that have to do with this psalm this morning? Well, these psalms are in many ways the road trip mixed tape for the Jewish people. These were the psalms and the songs that they would sing to each other, oftentimes as they were going up to Jerusalem. Geographically speaking, this is very important for you to know, Jerusalem is high up on a mountain, surrounded by lower valleys. And in order to get to Jerusalem, you have to go up to Jerusalem. You have to ascend to Jerusalem. That's why these songs are called the Songs of Ascents. You would start out at the lower areas and then to go through this, to travel up to Jerusalem, you would sing these songs along with all of the other people that you were traveling with, all of the other pilgrims that were not living in Jerusalem but would travel to Jerusalem. You would sing these songs as a way to encourage each other, as a way to remind each other what you were going to Jerusalem to do. These were the songs that were sung prior to the big festivals that were celebrated in Jerusalem. There were various festivals, very important festivals that were celebrated. There was the Feast of Booths. There was the festival of, uh, or the feast that they celebrated, the, the Day of Atonement. There were all of these festivals, but the most important one, of course, was the Passover. That the people of God, as God commanded them, would gather together, to or in the temple in Jerusalem as in order to celebrate the Passover event, the exodus, the salvation of God for his people. And of course, it's the Passover that Jesus was traveling to Jerusalem to celebrate. It's the Passover that he was having, the Passover meal that he was having with his disciples prior to him going for his crucifixion. 
as a way to save his people. It was the second Exodus event, the second Passover event that he was celebrating with his people. And I want you to understand something, that today is Palm Sunday, and as he was entering into Jerusalem, what songs would they have been singing to each other as they were traveling up, ascending into Jerusalem? These psalms, these very songs, they would have been singing to each other. This is a Palm Sunday psalm this morning. That perhaps that very day as he was entering into Jerusalem right before, this psalm was sung. This psalm that says, In my distress I called to the Lord and he answered me on the lips of Jesus. So let's look at this passage in three ways this morning. First of all, I want you to see that this is not just their psalm. This is our psalm. This is not just Jesus' psalm. This is our psalm because we are pilgrims. As we just sang in the offertory hymn, we are pilgrims traveling in a barren land. That is who we are. That's who God's people have always been. These are our psalms. And what we see here, first of all, is where the pilgrim dwells. You see that in verses 5 and 7. It's at the end. Okay, so we're going to start from the bottom and work our way up. Secondly, we see the pilgrim's distress in verses 3 and 4. And then finally, we're going to see the pilgrim's deliverance in verses 1 and 2. So we begin with the pilgrim's dwelling. Now, why, why start at the end? What's the importance there? Well, I would argue that... The, the psalmist here actually begins at the end and ends at the beginning. Because where is the beginning? The beginning, uh, or where does he end? He ends at this place in verse 1 where he says, In my distress I call to the Lord. That's our experience oftentimes as well. We are in distress and what do we do? Finally, ultimately, after we've gone through this distress for a time, we cry out to the Lord. He ends or he begins at the end, but then wants to remind us, and this is a great place for this psalm to start, because he begins with the good news. What's the good news through this passage? If you remember nothing else today, remember this, that in his distress, he called to the Lord, and what did the Lord do? The Lord answered him. So remember that as we start at the, at the beginning, which is the end. Look in verse 5. He says, Woe to me that I sojourn, in Meshish, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. So where are these places? Well, Meshish is actually in modern-day Turkey. It's the place that is identified with the people of that place. Uh, And these are people who were known to God's people in this day as a barbaric and uncivilized people. If you trace out the history of the peoples and the nations as you find them in the scriptures, you find out that the people of Meshish were actually descendants of Tubal. Tubal goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 4. Tubal was a descendant of Cain. And who was Cain and who were his descendants? They were the ones who killed the seed of the woman. They killed Abel. And that's the whole point of Genesis chapter 4, that these were people who set themselves up against God and against His seed, the seed of the woman. They hated God. They hated the things of Him. 
In the midst of that, you see all of this great stuff happening amongst them. There's culture growing. There's metallurgy and working with metals. There's songs and instruments that are being played and all of this great music that's being made. You see civilization growing and culture growing. But in the midst of all that great stuff going, you also see violence and hatred toward God. That's who Tubal was. And so the idea here for God's people as they're singing this, as the psalmist is singing this, he's saying, I am dwelling in a place that is not my homeland, but is actually in the midst of a people who hate God and hate his people. That's Meshish. What about, um, what about Kedar? Well, Kedar was uh, the people who lived in uh, the Arabian desert. They were a nomadic people. They were also a ruthless a barbaric and considered an uncivilized people as well. And if again, if you trace their history out, if you f- find out who they are, Kedar, the people of Kedar, were actually descendants of Ishmael. Go all the way back to Genesis again. Who was Ishmael? He was the, the son of Abraham by Hagar. He was not the son of promise. And in Genesis chapter 21, when Isaac was born, what did Ishmael do? Ishmael, some way or another, somehow or another, abused Isaac and was cast out. Now, God did protect Ishmael and gave promises to Ishmael. But you see there once again, here is one of the descendants of the people who abuses the people of God, who abuses the promised child and the promised seed of God. And here's the psalmist saying, I am dwelling in the midst of these people who hate God and hate God's people. He goes on and he says this, Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace. I speak peace. That this man, living outside of the promised land, living outside, in essence, away from God and away from his people, attempt to do what God has commanded to do, which is to be fruitful and multiply wherever you go, to bring the message of the peace of God wherever you go. And when he brings that message, this is the response. I, when I speak peace, they are for war. That as the people of God, as he pilgrims, in his, as he is a pilgrim in a foreign land, away from the people of God, he wants peace, he wants the things of God. And yet, the people that he's surrounded by hate him. They hate God, and they hate the things of God. So what does he say? How does he respond to this? He says, woe to me. Woe to me. It feels like, and that word woe is a, is a word that's used to explain a curse. To explain what it's like to be under the curse of God. And he says, in my experience of living outside the promised land, it feels like I am being cursed by God. And doesn't most of life feel like you are under some kind of punishment from God? Doesn't most of life feel like that? This is a universal experience. You feel this whenever you're lying in bed at night and you cannot sleep and these thoughts come to your head that you cannot get out of your head where you feel lonely and isolated. You feel like this in the midst of an office that you go and you have to work at whenever you're surrounded by people who have no clue about the things of God and about the things that make for peace. And any time that you might even offer that, they respond 
by not knowing what to do with it and maybe even shunning you. You feel this in your families when things are broken down and they don't work the way that you know that they're supposed to work. This is a universal experience that all of us have, but even more so when you are attempting to live for God in the midst of a world who hates God. The reason for that is because this is not your home. Just like the psalmist who says, I am dwelling in these places, in these far out places amongst these people who are for war when I want peace. He is reminded that he is not dwelling in his true home. And we need to be reminded of that as well. That this place is not your home. I think that's especially true for us as we are living in Clinton, Louisiana, and we're here this morning because all of us, We have these homes that we go back to and we attempt to make our true home. We do everything that we possibly can to make that place the place where we feel comfortable and accepted and loved and where everything is supposed to work exactly like it's supposed to work. And yet, it's a lifelong process of being disappointed by your home and by your family because this is not your home. Your true home is with Jesus Christ if you're in Christ. Now, there is a sense, a very real spiritual sense in which Jesus Christ is with us. He never leaves or forsakes us, but we do not now see Jesus face to face. And because of that, we are pilgrims in a foreign land. This world, this home, this city, this family is not enough. We dwell as pilgrims in this land. What's the application? Well, the application is this. All of you know what I just said is true. You know it to be true. I know it to be true. Then why don't we live that way? Why are we constantly trying to make this world the world that we know it will be when Jesus returns? Why are we putting our hope in the things of this world Why are we putting our hope in our families? Why are we putting our hope in our homes? Why are we putting our hope in our resources? Why are we putting our hope in LSU football? It's going to disappoint. The things of this world always disappoint. Now, does that mean we should not enjoy these things? Absolutely not. God, in His goodness to us, has given us these things. He has given us these resources. He has given us these homes. He has given us these families. He has given us LSU football. Can we enjoy it? Absolutely. But hope in it? No. We can use it. We can use these things. We can delight in these things, but not hope in them because we are pilgrims and we dwell in a foreign land this morning. The second thing we see is the pilgrim's distress in verses 3 through 4. Really, it starts at verse 2 where he says, Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. You see why he is in distress. In verse 1 he says, I'm in distress, God. Well, what's causing this distress? Well, there's a couple of things. We've seen the violence of war already, but also there's distress that's being called by something else. You see violence and death, but also name-calling. Isn't that interesting? He goes on in verses 3 and 4 to talk about the, the words of the people that he's surrounded by. Their lying tongues, their deceitful tongues, and their lying lips. He's surrounded by a people that are lying to him and about him. 
You understand he is a foreigner living in a foreign land. He maybe doesn't even speak the language of the people that he's around. And he goes into the marketplace because he has to buy food and he has just a little bit of the resources that he has. He doesn't understand what the money looks like and he goes to the market and he goes to buy some food from one of the vendors there and the vendor immediately knows that this is a foreigner who cannot speak the language, who does not understand how our money system works and what does he do? Because you're a foreigner, because you don't know the way things work, he charges you extra and you don't know it. And you don't even know it until later when you get home. And then you realize that you were charged extra. And then what do you do about it? Again, you have limited resources. Do you go and complain to him? Maybe you go and complain to the local authorities that this man cheated you after you're out of your very limited resources? Well, whose side is the local authorities going to take? You don't even know the language. You don't even know how to explain to them what this person did but you know that it is wrong. He was maybe was charged twice as much uh, because simply because the, the shopkeeper can get away from it, get away with it. You know that the system is rigged against you. That's one of the ways that the people are being deceitful and they're lying and they're cheating. But then secondly, there's something else that's happening. See, he is a man of peace and he wants the things of peace. But what are those people that he's surrounded by saying about him? They are saying that he is not for peace, that he is not for righteousness, that he is not for goodness. They are lying about him and his character because he does not match what the culture, what the wicked culture says is righteous. And so they are lying about him. And he is shunned from their society. They are the ones that are wicked, but he is the one that is charged with wickedness. Remember growing up, I remember, uh, you know, at one point I was being bullied a little, and I went to my mom and told her about it, and of course she said, well, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. I remember the first time my mom said that, and I said, that's brilliant. That is excellent. Sticks and stones Yeah, they will break my bones, but words can't hurt me. Words are just words. And I decided the next day to try them out, try that out on my bullies. And when they were making fun of me, I said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And then it clicked for them. You know, he's right. Let's get the sticks and the stones. Let's get them. (laughs) So, but we know, you know, yes, sticks and stones hurt. But don't words hurt as well? We're studying in the book of James in our adult Bible study that, that you know, a simple word like a match in a dry forest can burn it down and a simple word can tear people down. A simple word can tear down the reputation of, of your neighbor, of your neighbor's family, of entire cities, of entire communities, of entire nations. Yes, sticks and stones can break your bones, but words are powerful. And the reason why words are powerful is because our God is a God of words. And we are made in His image, and our words are powerful as well. And here's a man who is living in the midst of a people who are not just threatening him with violence, but his reputation is being torn down as well. What's the application to us? Well... How do you respond 
in this world when you know that your reputation also can be torn down. And maybe this morning you've come and your reputation has been torn down by those in this community who have an evil word to say against you when you only meant to do good. How do you respond to them? Well, unfortunately, Christians too often respond in kind. And we too often say, well, if you're going to say that about me, I'm going to say that about you. And we try to match word for word, evil for evil, by tearing down just as much as they do. And we need to remember that God says, vengeance is mine, even and maybe especially as we are living as pilgrims in this land. We need to watch the way that we speak. We need to truly be a people for peace, even when the world is for war. And we need to do what this psalmist does, because what does he do? In the midst of his dwelling among a foreign people who hate God, hate his people, and hate him, in the midst of dwelling in a world and among a people who tear down his reputation and take advantage of him with their words, what does he do? The next thing, his deliverance in verses 1 and 2. He says, in my distress, I called to the Lord. This is so important for us. Because the Lord actually answers him. In my distress, I called to the Lord. Imagine being this man, a pilgrim, lonely, away from everyone that he knows and loves, feeling abused and lonely and all of that. He has nowhere to turn. So what does he do? He goes to the creator of the heavens and the earth. And he cries out. And in his distress, the Lord answers him. Now, what is the answer? Well, you really don't know what the answer is. We know that the Lord responds, but we ultimately don't know yet in this passage what the answer is. We don't know what the Lord is going to do to fix all of these issues, but we do know that the Lord answers. That's important for us. But ultimately, what is the answer? What is the answer to all of that loneliness, to all of that pain, to all of the war and all of those things? Well, the answer is found really throughout these Psalms. Look in verse, uh, or chapter 121, the very next one. Look in verse 1. I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The answer comes in going to the Lord. So what does he do? He packs his things and he says, I'm going to go to where the Lord is. Where was the Lord? The Lord dwelled in Jerusalem. So he packs his things and he says, I'm going to the Lord. And as he's, he's sojourning back to the promised land, back to Jerusalem, he looks up and he sees Jerusalem and he says, where does my help come from? And he says, my help comes from the hills. My help comes from there, from Jerusalem. Why? Because that is where the Lord dwells. Look in verse one, or chapter 122, the very next one. Verse 1, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. See, he's living in the midst of other pilgrims who say, you know what we really need to do? We need to go back to Jerusalem. We need to go back to the temple. What is the deliverance of the Lord? The deliverance of the Lord is himself. He says, Here's what you ultimately need. 
not stuff, not safety, not resources. He says, you need me. So he's encouraged. His deliverance comes in going to the Lord. There is a way of peace. Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the city of peace. And so they go back to Jerusalem. If you want to find peace in this world, if you want to find the peace of God as you are living as a pilgrim in this world that constantly disappoints, what should you do? Go to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord. And don't wait until the time of distress comes. Don't wait to the end. Go to Him today. Cry out to the Lord. And you know what will happen? The Lord will answer you because you are His beloved. It's a great reminder to you. So where do you go in your distress? Of course, I mean, when you feel bad, whenever the world is out to get you, when things aren't working right, what do you do? Do you go to food and try to comfort yourself with food? Do you go to alcohol? Do you go to sex? Do you go to entertainment and all of these escapes that the world says you need to go to? These little pressure valves that we have built into our lives. Things that we say, I, you know, you ever go to somebody and just say, well, I just need a vent for a minute. So you don't blow up. Even that venting is an indication that you can't go to the Lord with your distress. That you don't think that the Lord is going to answer you. For us, the application is go to the right place. With your distress. He knows it. He knows you're living as a pilgrim. And he knows you need him. Over everything else in this world. In conclusion. You and I need to have. One thing in mind this week. Especially this week. Every week we need to have this in mind. I said at the beginning. That these were the songs of Jesus. That he would have been singing. He would have, been, he would have sung this song. In my distress I called to the Lord. And he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. And he goes on from there. You need to remember that Jesus would have been singing these psalms as he went into Jerusalem surrounded by fellow pilgrims who said to him, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, who claimed him as their king on a Sunday. And then for the rest of the week, day by day, what happened? This pilgrim, Jesus Christ, you need to understand, is the true pilgrim, is the true alien in a foreign land. Philippians chapter 2, he left his home, he left his glorious abode, he left all of his divinity, not all, he didn't leave his divinity, I shouldn't say it like that, but he left all of the things that give him benefit as God in order to be humbled and take the place of a servant, to live as a pilgrim in this land He is the true pilgrim, the true alien who left his glorious home to live among us. And he lived among a people who he said did not know the way that made for peace. He lived among a people who even though he had a spotless reputation, who never sinned, who did nothing but said he was a sinner who deserved the wrath of God his entire life. He was the only one who did not deserve to be mistreated, and yet he was constantly mistreated and had his reputation maligned and torn down. And Jesus knew this psalm, except he said, In my distress I call to the Lord. And on a good Friday, Jesus Christ, who did not deserve to be hanging on a cross, hung on a cross, and he called to the Lord. He said, Lord, He said, answer me. 
God did not answer him. Why? He deserved to be answered. He was the spotless Lamb of God and he deserved to be taken down from that cross. But he was not answered for you. You deserve to be there. You deserve to not receive the answer from God, but because He stayed on the cross, He took the wrath that you deserved so that when you call out to God your Father, He says, I am here for you, my child. And He answers you in your distress. This psalm is all about the deliverance that is offered to you and the deliverance that was not given to His Son. Of course, next week we get to celebrate that he was delivered from the wrath of God and from death on the third day. We get to celebrate these things this week that Jesus Christ took your place. Have this in your mind this week. Good Friday is good for you because it was bad for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us These songs, songs of deliverance, songs that remind us that you took our place so that we can call to you in our distress. Father, we confess that too often we run to the things of this world in our distress and we do not run to you. Father, I pray that you would remind us today to run to you, to cling to you, because you cling to us. pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.